Questions and Answers. During this Christmas season, malls are packed with shoppers. Songs of joy fill the air. The holiday season is in full swing. But where is the Christ child in all of this? It's time to go back to before Bethlehem and find out what was spoken centuries before Christ's birth. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, let's tune in as Pat will share a fascinating message entitled, Before Bethlehem. If you're unable to hear any of this message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's Pat. At Christmas, we celebrate the Son of God coming to earth. But what was Jesus doing before Bethlehem? Was Jesus always the Son of God, or did He become the Son at the Incarnation? The answer to these questions is important for every Christian to know. Understanding Jesus before the Incarnation, or the pre-incarnate Christ, helps us understand the nature of Christ, but also the tremendous sacrifice He made in the Incarnation. Now, we need to understand that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the second member of the Trinity. Therefore, Jesus existed eternally before Bethlehem. Also, Jesus was eternally the Son of God. He did not become the Son of God at the Incarnation. He always was the Son of God. The fact that Jesus existed from eternity past is made clear in several biblical passages. One of the clearest is John 1.1. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In his opening verse, John is echoing the words of Genesis 1-1 here. Genesis 1-1, remember, states, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, at the origin of creation, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus says, In the beginning was the Word. In other words, John is saying, At the beginning of creation, at the origin of time, the Word already was. In other words, John is clearly stating Jesus was not created, but he's an eternal being who existed from eternity past. In the beginning, the Word already was. The Word was already existing from eternity past. Micah 5.2 further emphasizes the eternal nature of Christ. Micah 5.2 says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me. One will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This is a prophecy of Christ, who was born in the city of Bethlehem. And the Hebrew is literally, his origins are from of old, or literally reads, days of immeasurable time. Once again, emphasizing the eternal existence of Jesus from eternity past. We can also find the eternal sonship of Christ in other passages of the Old Testament. I'll just name one more. Proverbs 30. If you read Proverbs 30, the first four verses read like this. The man declares, I'm weary, O God. I'm weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. And verse 4 is the important one here I want to emphasize. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. You see here in verse 4, the psalmist asks in that verse, 
what is his name and the name of his son? This is obviously a request for identification. And since God is the one we're talking about here, the creator of all things, God is the only possible answer to this question here. But it is striking that the writer asks also for the name of the creator's son. He asks for the name of his son. This appears to be a clear reference to the son of God. And Jesus fulfills the answer to this question, for he came down from heaven above to reveal truth to his people. John 3.13 states, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Another verse is Psalm 110 verse 1, where David writing says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Of course, David referring to his Lord there was the Son of God. And Jesus verified this understanding of the text in Matthew chapter 22, verses 42 through 45. Here, Jesus challenges the Pharisees in the understanding of his true nature. He says, now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And in that, they are correct. And Jesus said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Jesus poses the Pharisees a question. He says, the Christ, whose son is he? And of course, Old Testament prophecy states that the Christ would be a descendant of David. And so the Pharisees answer correctly. He's the son of David. However, David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So David calls him Lord. If he's Lord, how can he be his son? Well, that poses a very interesting question here. And Jesus is saying this, the Christ is David's Lord. He existed from eternity past and is David's Lord. David worshiped him, but he is also the son of David. In other words, Jesus is the only one that fulfills that in that at the incarnation, when the Son of God took on human form. He literally comes from the line of David. So one side emphasizes his humanity, and the other side emphasizes his divinity, that he is indeed David's Lord. So in Christ, you have someone who is 100% God, who existed from eternity past, but also someone who is 100% human at the incarnation he was literally a descendant of David. That emphasizes the human side of Christ. So Christ alone is the only one who could be the answer to that question. Another passage is Psalm 45, where the father speaks to the son, saying, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. God the Father calls God the Son, O God. So you can see even in the Old Testament, the members of the Trinity there are having a conversation with one another. God the Father is speaking to God the Son, saying, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Jesus himself claimed equal glory with God before the world began. In John 17, verse 5, Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Christ claimed eternal existence and shared in the glory of God. John the Baptist, although chronologically 
he was born before Christ, acknowledged that Christ was before him. In chapter 1, verse 15 of John, John the Baptist says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. So although Christ chronologically comes after John, John the Baptist acknowledges that Christ existed in eternity because he's the eternal Son of God and existed even before him. So once again, John the Baptist here points out not only the humanity of Christ, that at the incarnation that happened after the birth of John, eternally Christ always existed as the divine Son of God. Therefore, he was before John. So Jesus existed from eternity past. Well, the next question is this. What was Christ doing then before the incarnation? Well, before the incarnation, Christ was involved in the creation of the world. Chapter 1 of John, verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1.16 states, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So before the incarnation, Christ was involved in the creation of the world. Not only was Christ involved in the creation of the world, Christ was involved in sustaining the universe. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says this, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So before the incarnation, before Bethlehem, Christ was involved in the creation of the universe and the sustaining of the universe. Now, in the Old Testament, Christ was also involved. In the Old Testament, there is a particular angel called the angel of the Lord with a definite article. Wherever you see this being the angel of the Lord, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is a particular angel here who appears throughout the Old Testament. And often when you see the angel of the Lord, the term Lord or God, Yahweh, is often used interchangeably with the angel of the Lord. And this is a special angel because this angel is also worshipped. And when people realize it is indeed the Lord speaking to them, they often are afraid and afraid they're going to die because they have seen the Lord. And we see this in several instances. For example, Genesis chapter 16, the angel of the Lord speaks to Hagar, the servant of Abraham. And we have an interesting conversation here. Hagar, of course, is the servant of Abraham who bears Abraham's uh, first son, Ishmael. But then she is banished from the house of Abraham and she flees into the desert. And the angel of the Lord finds her here. And in verse 7 of chapter 16, it states this, the angel of the Lord found her by spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And the angel of the Lord gives a prophecy to Hagar, that the son that she is about to bear will become a great nation. And in verse 13, after the prophecy is given to Hagar, it states in verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. So the angel of the Lord, Hagar calls the Lord who spoke to her and states, you are a God of seeing, for she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. In Genesis 22, it's the famous chapter of Abraham who is asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. And so they go up to Mount Moriah there. And as you know the story, Abraham is about to kill his son. 
And in verse 11 it says, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Notice the angel of the Lord says, You have not withheld your son from me. Abraham was sacrificing Isaac to God. And the angel of the Lord says, You have not withheld your son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So the term Lord and angel of the Lord, they're used interchangeably here. In Exodus chapter 3, we also see the angel of the Lord speaking to Moses from the burning bush. In chapter 3, verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off. For the place upon which you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Well, who was speaking to him? Verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of the bush. And so you see the term angel of the Lord and God here are used interchangeably. Why? Because the angel of the Lord is indeed the pre-incarnate son of God. Once again, we see the angel of the Lord appearing in Judges chapter 6, speaking with Gideon. In chapter 12 of verse 6, it states, And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon and the angel of the Lord have a conversation. And the angel of the Lord commands Gideon to present a sacrifice to the Lord. So Gideon presents the sacrifice upon the altar. And in verse 21, it says, Then the angel of the Lord reached out, the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear for you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands in Ophrah. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Gideon realized there, indeed, he was talking to God, God the Son. So there you see, once again, the angel of the Lord is indeed the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. So the pre-incarnate Christ functions as the angel of the Lord, often delivering important messages to God's people. But the angel of the Lord is also in the Old Testament as commander of the Lord's angelic army. In Joshua chapter 5, as Joshua is about to go in and conquer the promised land, we see in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, 
take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So you see here, the angel of the Lord is the commander of the Lord's army. He receives worship and he tells Joshua the same thing he tells Moses. Take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. In 2 Kings chapter 19, that famous story when Sennacherib and his huge army surround the city of Jerusalem, Hezekiah prays and Isaiah prophesies that the nation of Israel shall be delivered from the Assyrian army. And it says in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, that night the angel of the Lord went out and slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. That is the work, the power, and the might of the angel of the Lord. People feared the angel of the Lord, and his power is exemplified in, in that in just in one brief stroke, he struck down over 185 warriors of the Assyrians. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, Peter seeks to defend the Lord and strikes the ear of a Roman servant. But Jesus tells Peter to put his sword back. And Jesus says, don't you know that I could command 12 legions of angels? So you see that in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is also the commander of the angelic army of the Lord. The angel of the Lord also in the Old Testament guides and protects the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter 14, it says, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud moved before them and stood behind them. So the angel of the Lord covered the children of Israel as a cloud during the time of the Exodus and also lighted their way at night. And so the angel of the Lord was involved in guiding and protecting the people of Israel. The angel of the Lord also was a mighty instrument of judgment upon other nations, but also upon the nation of Israel. We see in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 that the angel of the Lord was involved in the judgment of Israel because of David's wickedness on the census. And we read here, So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw, and he relented from the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working the destruction, It is enough now, stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing beside the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, and in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who gave the command to number the people? It is I who have sinned and done great evil. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand, O Lord my God, be against me and against my father's house. But do not let the plague be on your people. So the angel of the Lord here, who is also called God, stretched out his hand and struck down tens of thousands of men in the nation of Israel. So the angel of the Lord was also a powerful instrument of judgment upon the foreign nations and upon the nation of Israel itself sometimes when the people fell into sin. And the angel of the Lord was also involved in ministering to God's prophets and God's people in the Old Testament. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 19, it is the angel of the Lord who came to the aid of Elijah and brought encouragement and refreshment to the prophet of Elijah. Now, what's interesting is that after the incarnation, the angel of the Lord is never appears again in the Bible. 
So in the Old Testament, Christ appeared as the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is worship. The angel of the Lord is also called God. The angel of the Lord is feared for many of the prophets and of the Old Testament who see the angel of the Lord fall down and worship, and they are afraid, for they say they have seen the face of God. So we see that before the Incarnation, Christ was active in the Old Testament, appearing as the angel, as the powerful and mighty angel of the Lord. So we see that before the Incarnation, Christ existed eternally as God the Son, having all the attributes of God, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresent. He appeared in the Old Testament as the mighty angel of the Lord. Well, what happened at the Incarnation? Well, Christ made a tremendous sacrifice. In chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul writes this, Who, though he was in the form or very nature God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So at the incarnation here, Christ did not cease to be God the Son. Christ always was God the Son, but he took on human form and freely limited himself. He limited himself from the free exercise of his divine attributes. He always had his divine attributes, but withheld from using them so that he could come and freely limited himself in the form of a man, giving himself, putting upon himself limitations so that we could withstand being in the presence of God the Son himself. He veiled his glory and withheld from the use of his divine attributes so that he could enter into our world and suffer alongside us and experience the trials and tribulations we go through and become the perfect sacrifice for our sin. We see that on certain occasions, Christ did indeed demonstrate his divine attributes of omniscience, of omnipotence, power over all creation. He demonstrated that. He always had his attributes as God, but at the incarnation, he emptied himself and he withheld from using those divine attributes and became a vulnerable human being. At Bethlehem, he was indeed a baby, dependent upon his parents to feed him and protect him. He placed himself willingly in a vulnerable state like that. And that's the amazing and incredible sacrifice Christ made at the Incarnation. Although he always was God the Son, he withheld from using his divine attributes and even withheld them to the point where he suffered as a servant the humiliating death upon the cross for our sin. The incredible truth of this is that Christ could have easily called down the legions of angels and struck down his enemies. He did not have to go and suffer as he did upon the cross, but he willingly did so for our sake to rescue us from sin and death. The eternal, all-powerful God withheld from using his divine power and instead suffered the humiliating death upon the cross for the creatures that he indeed is Lord over, ruler over, and even creator over. That is the incredible story of the incarnation of Christ and the sacrifice that he has made. So I hope understanding the activity of the pre-incarnate Christ, Christ before Bethlehem, gives us a greater understanding of the nature of Christ, but also of the tremendous sacrifice he made in coming to earth, freely restricting 
the use of his divine attributes so that he could suffer alongside of us, entering into our world and suffering that humiliating death, all the while having the capability to inflict judgment upon those who crucified him but did not, suffered the shameful death upon the cross. So I hope understanding Christ before Bethlehem gives us an understanding of the tremendous sacrifice Christ made to enter upon this earth and pay the sacrifice of sin upon our behalf. So I hope understanding this truth gives you not only a greater appreciation, but a greater love and understanding of the tremendous sacrifice made for us by Jesus Christ, our Lord. We'll see you next time here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll also find that there on the site we have a wide variety of resources available to you including articles, Pat's books, and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Be sure to share our website with your family, friends, and your church. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. 